if you would, in your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And this morning we are going to look at the life of someone that I believe we can pretty much, most of us, if not all of us, uh, somebody that we can we can relate to. Uh, this person, I believe, represents the majority of Christians today. This individual has been mischaracterized for over 2,000 years. I have mentioned him in many messages that I've preached through the years, but I don't believe... Um, if I, if I have, I, I can't remember ever preaching an entire message about this individual. In 2002, a man named Richard Mudd died at the age of 101. He brought, uh, his death brought renewed attention to an almost forgotten footnote in American history. Richard had spent much of his life waging a legal, political, and public restoration campaign to clear the name and restore the reputation of his grandfather. His grandfather's name was Samuel Mudd. Samuel Mudd was a physician who practiced medicine in Charles County, Maryland during the Civil War. According to Richard's account, when his grandfather was awakened by two men at 4 a.m. on the morning of April 15, 1865, Dr. Samuel Mudd did not realize that the patient with the broken leg was the well-known actor John Wilkes Booth. He also had no idea that Booth had suffered the injury at Ford's Theater while jumping onto the stage uh, after uh, sending a bullet crashing into the skull of Abraham Lincoln. It was merely a he, excuse me he was merely a kindly country doctor unwittingly swept in to the uh, vengeful hysteria following the wartime assassination of the president. Andrew Jackson eventually pardoned Samuel Mudd in 1869, and he was released from prison. But the doctor's conviction was never overturned. Richard Mudd uh, uh, campaigned to uh, restore the good name of his grandfather, uh, was only partially successful. His pers- he pursued several states, uh, or excuse me, he persuaded several states to pass resolutions proclaiming Dr. Mudd's innocence, and President Carter and President Reagan wrote letters of affirmation uh, affirming uh, their belief that the doctor was blameless. Both presidents, however, said they could not over- officially overturn the decision of a military court leaving the controversy and Dr. Mudd's reputation 
to the ultimate judgment of historians. Hence, we get the phrase, your name is mud. A few minutes ago, I said that this morning's message is about a man who's been uh, mischaracterized for over 2,000 years. And I want to prove it to you. I'm going to mention his name here in a moment. And and I want you, the very first thing that pops into your mind, I want you to shout it out. Are you ready? This is real complicated. Thomas. (laughs) Okay, I didn't think of Jefferson. Okay. (laughs) I wouldn't preach about Jefferson, okay? Hey, you're in high school. That's a good thing, okay? <laughs> yes. Um, uh, no, doubter. Most people think of, when they think of the Apostle Thomas, they, they, they come up with the name Doubting Thomas, right? That's, that's, the, that's the majority of, of believers today, if, if you're familiar with the story at all. John chapter 20 Let's start reading in verse 24. This is the disciple which testified of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many things which Jesus did, uh, the which uh, they should be written... um, I'm in the wrong. Okay, yeah, I, I'm like this is not the this is not the path. Oh, okay, I was in 21. Okay, let's try this again. <clears throat> but Thomas, okay, but Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore uh, said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them. Except I see in his hands the prints of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand uh, into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, again, his disciples. Well, let's just stop at verse 25. So here we have the account of Thomas, one of the 12 apostles, not present when Jesus comes. The title of my message is this, Doubting Thomas, with a question mark. And I want to. I want to. The emphasis this morning is not so much on the on the name doubting Thomas, but the, the the emphasis this morning is more on the question mark. Was he really? Was he really doubting? Thomas was also called Didymus. We just read that here a, a, a moment ago. Didymus. Is the is the 
the the Greek name for the Hebrew name Thomas. So Thomas was his Hebrew name. Didymus was his Greek name. And both of those names mean the same thing. And and I, I didn't know this until I was studying, but the, the, the name Thomas or the name Didymus means twin. So most, most theologians believe that he had a, a twin, either a twin brother or a twin sister. We don't know because we're not told. But he was a twin, more than likely. Um, <clears throat> but something else interesting. Thomas is, ma- Thomas <clears throat> is mentioned in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But... In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's only mentioned in the list of the apostles. Let me give you an example. In Luke chapter 6, verses 13 to 16, it says, And when it was uh, day, he called unto uh, him his disciples, of whom he chose twelve, whom also he named, <clears throat> excuse me, whom also he named apostles, Simon, uh, who he, uh, whom he also named Peter, and, and, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, uh, called uh, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the betrayer. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, He's only listed, the only time you see his name in those three Gospels is, is in, in the list of the apostles. So the only time that we really get any information about this man Thomas is in the book of John. So let's kind of look at this guy and see who he is. Point number one, who was Thomas? Who was Thomas? Uh, in the Gospel of John, Thomas uh, plays a an important role in two very significant events in the book of John. The first one is near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus and his disciples were... Um, Well, let me let's, let me let me think how I want to how I want to say this. A threat had been made to the life of Jesus, and thus Jesus and his his disciples and the apostles fled, and they were away when they got the news that their friend Lazarus was about to die. During this time, Jesus and his disciples, well, let's read it. Um, turn, turn, if you would, back to chapter 11, John chapter 11. John chapter 11 in verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was, was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, and the town of Mary uh, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary uh, which anointed the Lord 
with ointment and wiped uh, his feet uh, with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. So Jesus and his apostles and, and, and many of his followers had left and they got news that Lazarus had, was very, very sick. And, and the, the tone of this was the fact that if Jesus doesn't return quickly, what is the assumption here? He's going to die. So Jesus, <clears throat> and, and we're not going to get into all the particulars, but I, I want to, it's important we cover some of it. Um, but Jesus delays his departure. He doesn't immediately hear the news and say, oh man, I need to go, go, go heal my friend Lazarus. Jesus delays his departure. Uh, and then we know from the context here that Lazarus eventually dies because Jesus delayed his departure. Look at verse 4. It says, uh, when Jesus heard that he uh, said uh, this sickness um, is not unto death, uh, but for the glory of God. See, that is an incredibly important statement. The sickness was not unto death, but it was to glorify God. That the Son of Man might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So Jesus allowed something really, really bad to come into their lives but yet it, the, the Bible tells us that he loved them. There's an important side note here. Uh, there are times that Jesus allows hard things to come into our lives. It doesn't alter the fact that he still loves us. When they get the news, there is an exchange between Jesus and his disciples. And look at verse 7. It says, After, then after that he saith unto his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. So here, here they get the news that Lazarus is dead. Jesus tells his disciples, Okay, hey, let's go back to Judea. And look at verse 8. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee. And goest thou thither again? There was a legitimate threat against Jesus' life. And his disciples knew that if, if he were to go back, that there was a very high likelihood that he could be stoned to death. And they're concerned and they come to him and they say, Jesus, we don't think this is a good idea. Fearing for his life, his disciples try to talk him out of it. But Jesus had to return. Look at verse 14. Then, Jesus, then said Jesus unto them, Plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sake that I was not there, 
to, in, uh, to the intent, ye may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Jesus reveals to his disciples, partially here, the reason why he delayed his, his journey to heal Lazarus. Jesus literally, this sounds horrible, but if you continue reading the story, you understand that there's a reason behind it. But Jesus delays his departure so that Lazarus really does die. And Jesus says it's a good thing for him to die because there's a lesson that you need to learn. Another side note for us. We just need to trust God in our lives because he knows what we need. And what we need sometimes does not, does not always match what we think we need. But Jesus here, tells his disciples, hey, I know he's dead, but there's a good reason why. I, I told you all that to get to verse 16. <laughs> then said who? Thomas. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, the twin, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, is this a man who is questioning God's will for his life. I don't think so. I don't think so. There, there's an important truth here. Thomas was truly committed to the Savior. But that did not remove the fact that he still had questions. Just because he had questions doesn't mean he was doubting the will of God for his life. On the day of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus appears to the group that we read earlier in verse. Um, hold on, let's go back to chapter 20. <clears throat> In verse 19, it says, Then the same day uh, at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples uh, were assembled for the uh, fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Now, why did Jesus say that to them? I don't know about you, but if I was in that situation and Jesus walked, walked through a wall or a door or whatever, I, I'd have been scared. Just saying, okay? So he says, hey, don't worry about it. Peace be with you. When he had <clears throat> said, uh, when he had so said, he showed unto them 
his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. See, they needed to see it too, okay? This is something that is really important. What was the very first thing Jesus, Jesus walks through the door, not op- he didn't open it, while he walked through the door. And what was the very first thing he did? He showed them his hands and his side. And what was the very thing that, that, that Thomas questioned? Was the very same thing. So were all of the the, the, the the were all of the disciples doubters? Probably. Wouldn't you? Think about this. Put yourself in the in the in the shoes of the disciples. Wouldn't you have some questions? I would I would want to see the scars and the and the hole in his side. I would want to see that. And then we we read it earlier, but well, let's let's just continue reading here. Uh, then said uh, Jesus to them again, uh, "Peace uh, be unto you. As my Father has sent me, so send I you." And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And whosoever sin you, you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. But Thomas one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And he had questions, and he had legitimate questions. I have a personal side note here. I want to I want to share with you. This is just this is just me, okay? But I personally believe that Thomas's absence was not by accident. I knew, I, I believe that Jesus knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Thomas was not going to be there. But yet Thomas would be the one who would ask the question. The question that would help people for centuries. A question. that many people ask today. And that is, except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nail and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. I have had people tell me through the years as being a pastor, well, pastor, you know what? Uh, I, I I have a hard time believing in a God I can't see. Have you ever thought that? Have you have you ever have you ever gotten to the point in your life where where you you look around and you think, God, where are you? 
I've been there. Because why? Because I can't see you. I can't necessarily hear you. I had a, I had a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, who went through a, a very difficult season in life. And to his own testimony was this. He said, he, he said I, I could not see or hear God in my life, but I kept doing right in hopes that God would reveal himself. And, and this, this pastor just kept going and kept going and kept going. And eventually he realized God, God did not move. I had moved. And so often we get this idea of doubting mixed up in our thinking. And the reality is, well, let me, let me continue here. By asking this question, Thomas gets the infamous nickname for centuries of doubting Thomas. And I've heard, I've heard pastors beat up on this poor guy for, you know, just... They've said some really horrible things about him. But I personally believe that Thomas was a man of great faith. The only thing that Thomas was guilty of was saying what most of us think. So number two, who was Thomas? That kind of answers the question who he was. Question number, uh, point number two, uh, was he really a doubter? Was he really a doubter? Look at verse 26 in in chapter 20. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. And then came Jesus, the door being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. He had to remind him again, hey, don't be afraid. And he said unto Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hand, and reach thither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and and, uh, be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. I want you to note a couple things here because this is really, 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 really important. Jesus did not walk through the door, appear to the disciples, say, hey, peace be with you, and then turn to Thomas and say, you idiot. He didn't say that. He didn't ridicule him. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't talk bad about him. He didn't belittle him. He didn't scold him. He didn't do, what does he do? Jesus walks in, says, peace be with you. Probably walked over to Thomas because he had to be relatively close to Thomas for him to say, Thomas, reach out and touch. Put your hand in my side. It's okay. 
because I want you to be a man of great faith. He does Again, he doesn't ridicule him. He doesn't belittle him. All he says is just reach out and touch. Thomas's skepticism is not the same as opposition to truth. He wasn't questioning Jesus's godhood, if you would. He just wanted to see it for himself. I've had people tell me through the years, Pastor, if I could only see God answer prayer in my life, if I could only see God do a miracle in my life, then I would believe. My response is usually something along this line. Are you breathing? Then you're experiencing a miracle. His doubt represents a genuine, truth-loving quest to answer a question. Is it really you? Earlier in the book of John, Jesus is warning his disciples that he's going to be leaving. He's referring to the to the uh, <clears throat> Uh, to the uh, resurrection that's going to be taking place soon. But I want you to look at, well, you don't have to turn there. We'll just put it up here on the board. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. I want you to see who was the first one of his apostles to ask him, where are you going? In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, it says this, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye know, <clears throat> the uh, the way I the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whether thou goest. How can and how can we know the way? Thomas was the one out of all of his apostles, out of the hundreds of disciples that Jesus had following him. Thomas was the one who had the guts to stand up and say, "Time out." We don't know where you're going. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and you know where I'm going. And, and Thomas says, no, we don't. I don't know where you're going. Now, he probably had an idea, but he didn't know. But it was Thomas who stood up and said, no, we don't know, which prompts the next verse. John chapter 14 and verse 6, And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
Because of Thomas's question to Jesus, we get one of the most incredible verses in all of Scripture. Because Thomas had the guts to stand up and say, I don't understand. Many of you know Brandon Kilby. Word has it, I've talked to a couple of his professors, uh, Brandon is driving them crazy. <laughs> Nothing has changed. I mean, that guy is just question after question. After question. You know what? That's good. That is awesome. I talked to I talked to Brandon's pastor uh, there where he's going to while he's in college, and and he, and I said, "Is he driving you crazy with the questions?" He's like, "No." Praise God, he's in Bible college. He does that to the professors. <laughs> Nothing wrong with asking questions. Especially to God. There's nothing wrong. You know, laying, laying in bed last night. And this, this may sound weird, I, I don't know. But this is just who I am. I was laying in bed last night, and and uh, I just had this weird thought. Man, I wonder what tomorrow is going to look like. You know, because who knows what tomorrow holds? And then I remembered a song that that we sing here, that. God is the one who holds tomorrow. And you know what? I, I did. I, I laid in bed last night thinking, man, what is, what is tomorrow going to be like? And then the, the, the reality, of the, the, the answer to the question was, I don't need to know because God has it in control. I may not always like tomorrow, but I know who holds tomorrow. And I was able to go to sleep and not have to worry about tomorrow. Please, please, if you understand my heart this morning, please get this. Sincere faith does not prohibit, prohibit a sincere question. Jesus knew that Tom, uh, Thomas needed to believe. And Jesus lovingly met Thomas where he was to meet the need that he had in his life. And Jesus does the same thing for you and for me. There are times where we struggle with understanding what Jesus might be doing in our lives or in the lives of people we know or loved ones or whatever. There are times that we go through and we think, God, I don't understand But it all boils down to verse 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen 
and yet have believed. That's you and me. doesn't say, hey, don't stop asking questions, but learn to trust. And because we have not seen Jesus physically, we've not had the opportunity to put our fingers in his nail prints. And we will one day. But because we believe and have not seen I believe that's saying here that we have an extra extra measure of blessing. That's how I read it. Because we believe without being seen, without seeing him. Thomas's final mention in the Bible, if you're curious, I want to read this to you, is in Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 13 and 14. Uh, and when they were come in, they went up into the upper room, uh, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, uh, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. That's the last time Thomas is mentioned in Scripture. Now, there are some extra-biblical writings and, and, and traditions of the Christian church that hold that Thomas took the, the gospel to what is modern-day Iran and possibly even to uh, what is modern-day um, uh, India. But Thomas was martyred for his faith. He stayed faithful to the end. So what is the conclusion? What does all this have to do with missions? Because this is missions month, is it not? So let me let me kind of bring this all into a to a conclusion here. <clears throat> this story, I believe, has everything to do with missions. Because missionaries are just regular people who have learned to put their faith and trust in a God who knows what's best for them. We support missionaries all over the world. In fact, we're going to have a missionary here next week, and then uh, the week after, we've got missionaries coming two weeks in a row. Uh, the one next week is a, a young family, uh, uh, the Kehiwats. Uh, many of you know David Kehiwat. It's his, his uh, youngest son, Caleb, and his wife. Uh, they're they're going to be missionaries to the country of Japan. And then the week after, we have missionaries that we already support, Rickson and Susan Keeling, uh, to the country of uh, Micronesia, the island of Ponape. They're just regular people who have learned to put their faith and trust in, a, in an almighty God. So how does this apply to you and me? I'm glad you asked. This morning we presented you with three ministries that our church will hopefully be involved in this year. The the baby the baby nitty booty thing, uh, strands of love. There you go. Uh, 
<coughs> so yet, you, you know, you have the strands of love, and, and you know, right out of the gate, you're like, I don't want to do that. You can learn. You can, if nothing else, you can take over David's job making little pom poms. There's always something to do. Even if you don't have a quote-unquote skill set, you can learn. Are you willing to, to, to step out in faith? What about going to Alaska? You're like $2,000. I can't afford that. Let me ask you a question. What is the life of one soul saved worth? See, but I, I would have to give up Starbucks in order to go. Aww. What is one life worth? See, doubt comes in and we question God, but but God, I can't I can't go all the way to Walmart. I'd have to take off work, I'd have to do this. And we can come up with so many excuses. But what God is looking for is people to step out in faith and say, you know what? God, use me. God, use me. I want to be used. Instead of of a family vacation this year, let's go to Alaska and be a blessing to a small church in Anchorage. Instead of spending gazillions of dollars on a vacation, let's spend a gazillion dollars going to Alaska. Probably cheaper, just saying, I don't know. Faith promise. Every year, this time of year, we ask you to sacrifice financially throughout the year to support missionaries that go in other countries. And really, those of you that know me, this is the only time I really talk about money is during missions. Why? Because it's... We have a world to reach with the gospel. And you say, but pastor, I can't afford to to give anymore. Maybe not. But there have been times, my and this is a personal testimony, there have been times where my wife and I have stepped out in faith and said, you know what? God willing, we're going to give this much to, to missions. And you do the math and it doesn't add up. But as you can tell, I've never gone hungry. I have skipped very few meals in my life on purpose. See, what is faith? Faith is not saying, God, how, how am I going to pay this, this amount of money for missions? Or how am I going to make this trip? Or how am I going to do this? Or how am I going to do that? It, no, the, the problem is not asking the question. The problem is then Doubting God's ability to fulfill the question. See, Thomas was a man of great faith. He just had questions like you and me. Where am I going to get the money to do this? Or what am I going to the time, time, money, you know, all of these things. Thomas, was he a doubter or did he just simply have questions? I contend that Thomas was a man of great faith.
And he, is, he has been mischaracterized for a really, really long time. And there's going to be a lot of pastors when they get to heaven that need to apologize to him who have said some really mean things about him. But the reality is this. We all question. We all have questions. The point is we need to learn to trust. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for your love. And Lord, you have been so good to us, so kind and so gracious. And and Lord, as we bring our service to an end, we, we ask, dear God, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts, that you would do a mighty work in our lives and that you would help us to see that asking a question is not wrong at all. Jesus did not belittle Thomas. He actually encouraged him. And Lord, we, we need you this morning. This area of missions, in our giving, of our time, of our finances, maybe even giving of ourselves. Thank you for your love. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you this.